This is Movies, the podcast about the act of cinema. With me today is Hans, who's not in Las Vegas just yet. How are you doing? Good, good, good. Pretty good. I think it's going to start raining soon, so if my sound uh, gets fucked up, it's because nature uh, hates it. <laughs> <laughs> and we got for the third time now, we have Mario Cuomo, lead singer of the Orwells. And how are you? I'm great. Now, I, I see you're dressed appropriately for the this evening. Now, that is the, the Frank Miller Batman logo, the big old... Yeah oval with the yellow background that right. does not get it doesn't get much play these days but i i think it's my favorite oh yeah it's gotta be it's a classic uh tonight we're doing a frank miller retrospective now there's a ton of movies that are inspired by the work of frank miller that aren't direct adaptations a lot of people will point to tim burton's batman you know they, it, that definitely draws from that in the killing joke uh batman v superman uh, Daredevil, which we might get into. I'm kind of on the fence about that. That that certainly uh, picks apart from the the Frank Miller uh, timeline, and you know certainly Elektra, which I think might have been his character. Did he create Elektra? Uh, you know, I think that sounds right. But I'm glad we're not talking about that movie. No, I have no interest in watching Elektra at any. I, here's what I I've never seen Elektra. Here's what I heard. I heard that. Oh. Like the the bad guys or what was it Beastmasters? You remember those those books as a kid where they like a person would morph into an animal gradually on the cover. Animorphs, An animorphs, yeah, yeah, yeah. animorphs. <laughs> that's that's the bad guy of that film, right, Hans? I honestly don't remember. I can't I differentiate between this and Daredevil. I remember it being a lot like Ghost Nicholas Cage's Ghost Rider for some reason. You know what? I just I just watched the trailer to both of those Ghost Rider films recently. And the tone of each one of them couldn't be more separate. It seemed like Ghost Rider was still trying to do that Fantastic Four 2005 thing. Yeah. Where it's like, we're, we're, we're kind of riding the Spider-Man, Sam Raimi wave. Maybe we're going to try and do something a little bit darker. And then you, you take a look at Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, I believe the title is called. And it's just like, yeah, we're just going to do a Nicolas Cage film. This is just going to yeah. be Crank 3 uh, with, with Cage. And uh, I, I, I haven't seen either one of those in quite a while, but I remember somewhat enjoying the sequel. I've never seen the sequel, but it sounds uh, more interesting than the first one for sure. Well, it's what you expect. He, he, uh, Nikolaus Kish is funny because he really gets into his characters, but then you have some something as ridiculous as this. What is Johnny Blaze? I think is the character. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where every line is like a like a catchphrase and, and he's very he's got like a weird sexual energy to him but it's not wanted by anyone you know it's like a very unwanted sexual energy that the character has uh that's what you're wrong it's, it's wanted by a collection of 23 year old asian girls he has a good collection of it's... asian girls 23 years of age new thing uh what's he got a movie called pig or something coming out what's what what i now there's a movie called primal i saw where he's going after like a cheetah or something but there's a pig no, there's, movie there's a new movie i just saw the uh like uh trailer for it or a sneak preview and it's called like pig. It's like something about him and his piggy. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay. It says, uh, it says uh, living alone in the Oregon wilderness, a truffle hunter returns to Portland to find the person who stole his beloved pig. Rated R. Nice. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'd be willing to check that out. That sounds good enough to me. I'll do it. Uh, he, you know, he, he hasn't been in like anything egregiously bad recently. He's kind of, stayed with like indie films since mandy yeah so 
I'm I'm open to checking that out. That sounds that sounds pretty good to me. Uh, you know, I really feel like we did miss out on getting Nicolas Cage as Superman, which I've heard. I have heard he might play Superman in this Flash movie that's coming out. No way. Wait, did, uh, did you guys watch that Willy Wonderland movie? That was pretty the that terrible. movie that's a Five Nights at Freddy's knockoff. No, I haven't seen that. Yeah. Not yeah, he the yeah, that one's a, that's a skippable one. That's one is definitely one of the least fun ones because it doesn't even look like he's having fun with it. Yeah, uh, it just looks like he's just there, which is weird because he's always so into, you know, that he always goes all out. But in this one, I don't know. It it feels like they they try to make him like a like a very uh, mysterious uh, main character, but he's just boring, uh, and the movie's just. Just not. Which is a shame because that movie looked like it had pretty good aesthetics to it, pretty good uh, production design. But I guess it all went to that and not the, yeah. the quality of the material. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. Well, uh, we, we are going to be talking about uh, no Nicolas Cage films tonight, as far as I, <laughs> I know, anyway. Uh, we're going to be talking about the, the body of work that Frank Miller has produced, sometimes hands-on, sometimes not so hands-on. Uh, the first of those movies is, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it's Sin City in 2005, which was co-directed by Frank Miller and Robert Rodriguez, which, Hans, I know you watched this recently, and I watched it recently, too, because I think at one point we were thinking about doing a double feature of Sin City films. And, um, right. Mari, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you got around to checking it out, but for me, I noticed a gradual, well, I noticed a there's a significant difference in how I was watching the film when I watched it when I, I think it was like a 480p or 720p copy that was on Tubi. And then when I checked out my Blu-ray of the director's cut, the extended cut, um, where the backgrounds look far less charming when you watch uh -huh. it in a lower quality. Whereas if you're watching it in 1080p, then it looks artificial, but it looks still kind of cool. Most of it looks uh, interesting on the eyes enough. Yeah, but uh, it's certainly not a movie that I think uh, has aged well visually just because of the nature of where uh, special effects and chroma key and post-production is currently. Yeah. But man, did I love that fucking movie. Oh, dude. yes. Sin City was the coolest movie when it I came out. I would tell out. people that was my favorite movie. There was like a good like 15 years of my life where they're like, anybody asked me favorite movie. It was it was Sin City hands down. There are so many interesting and cool characters to be found in that film, and it really brings to life, uh, you know, the comics that that was based on. Because this was released as like a serial, right, by Frank Miller, because it yeah. was right after Marvel and DC had alienated many of their, their creators, and everybody was kind of going independent. Dark Horse Comics gets propped up during mm -hmm. that time. Todd McFarlane goes there, and I... I can't recall who released Sin City. It might have been Dark Horse. It might have been another third-party uh, comic distributor. But Frank Miller put out these books over a series of years, and they became very popular uh, to the point that we got this 2005 film. Yeah. Uh, Hans, did, did, you, uh, did you check out Sin City when it was released in theaters? Yeah. Yeah, I saw it when it first came out. And uh, that was the the issue that I had yesterday when I when I rewatched it. That uh, I guess uh, things weren't as noticeable uh, before because it was the first time I ever saw that style or the uh, on a big screen. So everything was very cool, like very contrasty, and and uh, 
you didn't really pay that much attention to things like backgrounds or like depth of field that you would lose that in. And I think that uh, all of these movies that do this, because even the, the 300 one, the second one that I'm sure we're going to talk about, um, a lot of the time you can really tell that it's a green screen because there's there's not a lot of depth with the character. So it just feels like they have like a flat background. Uh, and on this second viewing of Sin City or third, fourth, maybe, um, that was very noticeable to me where it became really distracted. And I was paying a lot of attention to those things that I guess I was supposed to ignore when it first came out, just because... Uh, at the time, there was nothing like that, and special effects were not to the point where they were being used to that extent, but now it's something that you see regularly, so it doesn't seem as impressive anymore. At the same time, uh, those stories are much better than the second one. Uh, I, I still connect with those stories, and I still think that the characters are very interesting in the way that they all kind of connect with each other. Uh, and with the second one, that's one of the things that it suffers from, I think, where the stories are just not that interesting uh, dude you and, know what the uh, second one really suffers from the what the second one really suffers from is uh ray liotta i'm so sick of ray liotta <laughs> just, like, just everywhere he pops up everywhere dude well he's with that face now too his face looks it's the chantic's face normal now yeah uh, uh i i hate it uh one of the things i hated about the second one is that bruce willis in the mirror thing it was just very corny and i i get that you know it's not a, it's not supposed to be taken seriously because it's a comic or whatever but that you know the breaking of a mirror he's just there like what are you doing it's just like come fucking uh well they needed to shoehorn some of the familiar faces i mean with the, the first sin city movie you have all the stars dying Right. So, I mean, to be honest, if I was Robert Rodriguez, you're picking up Sin City, what, almost 10 years later or exactly 10 years later? Uh, you, you know, I think it would have been better served to go in a totally different direction. Now, obviously, uh, you know, those characters do overlap into other stories in Frank Miller's books. But I, I don't know. I feel like if you're going to revisit that ground and do something with it, uh, stay away from Marv, stay away from the the Hardigan character. Uh, do something, just trying to do something. I mean, they they actually, they created a story for that second one, right? Frank Miller came up with something for that movie. So why not just do something like that? Just come up with something like totally fresh that could be a direct continuation of that. I think the Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I think, the gambler story, I think uh -huh. was added, that was it, that wasn't in any book. Uh, but it suffers from that thing that all of those sequels uh, suffer from uh, around the 2000s, where... You know, we wait 10 years and uh, we don't really have any ideas, but this is uh, a movie that people still remember. So let's just get a sequel out and uh, something that kind of looks the same. And uh, you don't really reinvent the wheel that much because you know what succeeded before. Uh, and that's why there's so many sequels to comedies and things like that. that it feels out. like we're in that cycle right now, but not with movies, just with like everything else with people. Like I said this on Instagram, but it feels like that with like joe biden and bo burnham entirely the creator just come like everybody's acting like it's 2011 again these people have just been you know great and non-stop uh putting out quality material since then yeah wait the bo bo burnham is being reviewed positively with they the love bo burnham are you kidding me bo burnham like was... nobody they're all they won't shut up about that special that he directed in his room or whatever i was a fan i like his older but i started watching that and it's just him being sad and then he's happy but me being happy is, is fake i'm actually sad for like uh, the the whole thing and after the, the first 10 minutes i was like this uh, i know 
Like this is did not you comedy. Guys, this is not... Did you guys see his directorial debut? Uh, eighth grade. That, that yeah. got covered on this show, but I didn't do that. I sub I subbed out that day. So that was somebody <laughs> else. Yeah. Who was um, it? I haven't seen that. No. Jake Not reviewed it. it. Uh, I, I watched it and I remember just thinking like, okay, all right, whatever. Next movie. Didn't uh, Jonah Hill do the same thing? I I didn't see uh, mid, mid 90s. Did you see that, Mario? Yes, I did. It was okay. It was all right. Yeah, I was kind of waiting. I've been waiting like my fucking whole life to see a skateboard movie that's like not cringy and uh what? But honestly, what, what the f- you got the three ninjas? The extremely uh, <laughs> goofy movie? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What the fuck does Jonah Hill know about skateboarding, dude? He never skated. I mean, it looked like <laughs> everything looked like, you know, I guess how it was supposed to look for the time and uh yeah, I don't know. It was okay. It's funny how the, the 90s still don't have, like, their dazed and confused movie. A lot of people have tried to make, like, the the 90s movie that everyone's going to remember, but I don't think there's been one that hits yet. Like, they, I feel like they were better at um, creating movies about the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and there hasn't been one 90s movie that, ca- that encapsulates everything uh, from that time yet, I think, that, that is made... You know, from the 2000s. On. I'll tell you, I think it, I think it's because it's so easy to take a look back at the 90s, right? Whereas you only have other movies and TV shows and documentaries from uh, the mid 20th century to right. base your your information off of. So, you know, you can you can go watch somebody's home movie they uploaded to YouTube, and you can see that it's not one to one with whatever you just saw in a film. Um, whereas you just, you know, you kind of just have to go based off of either nostalgia or somebody else's word as to whether or not 1960s or 1970s might be accurate. But I think that's a problem on the whole where, uh, you, you see a lot of people making these films that take place in the 20th century during very iconic decades and, and, and really leaning into the most two dimensional version of that decade as possible. And it just feels artificial. There's something about it that, that feels off. Uh, that seems to be the MO of every like Netflix production anyway, because of Stranger Things, right? So, and we've talked about that at length, but it, it, it does seem to be a problem that is uh, not, it, it doesn't abide strictly by the 80s. I think that's a problem with the 70s and the 90s and every other period. Yeah, I think we really, uh, or a lot of people just let them get away with, you know, something as simple as like a movie poster in someone's bedroom or they're they got a wu-tang shirt on oh that's and then everybody's like you know that's good enough like oh yeah okay it's very surface yeah it doesn't really go deep at all it's just oh it's a vhs whatever you can buy at target that day (laughs) yeah yeah when it really somebody like you know meeting up with them and you know somebody doesn't show up because they don't have a fucking phone so it's like there's there's a lot of other stuff that you can do. Totally. Make it that. Because because there there is movies uh set in the nineties that came out in the nineties that you can go back and, and you know feel like that's the you know, this is the nineties movie yeah. that encapsulates that. But like anything but with Janine been... Garofalo because her career died as soon as that decade ended. <laughs> yeah, or or because there there hasn't been anything like that uh where we just look back at it, I think. And uh Maybe you're right. Maybe it's just that the nineties are still very fresh in most of our memories, so nothing really feels. Also, I, I think people look extremely different now 
than they looked in the 90s and the 80s. And it's like there's that meme that's going around on Twitter. You wouldn't know because you haven't you know, activated your account just yet, Hans. But people, people have been posting, uh, you know, a 34-year-old man in 1983, and it's George Went. And then a 34-year-old <laughs> man in 2021, and it's Adam Friedland from Cumtown, who looks like right. a boy, like a little boy. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I think our diets and just, like, general lifestyles have changed how we look uh, also. That, you know, it, it takes away from the believability. So if you see, like, a 25-year-old dressed up in 70s clothing and it's shot today, it feels like dress-up. It feels like, oh, I see, yeah. you're going to a costume party with your friends. You know, it doesn't... Yeah register is legitimate totally yeah so what was the maybe maybe what super bad was the last one to maybe well that didn't like, that didn't take place in any era that just took place now so that, that's <laughs> yeah so, yeah that's true they just dressed like that because they were dorks you're right right yeah yeah they had to get clothes out of their dad's closet yeah yeah yeah. uh what do you guys make of frank miller as a writer and illustrator by the way we didn't really talk about the man himself we just kind of jumped right into sin city and i feel like there's a lot of ground to cover with just who he is as a person and how he changes every 15 years yeah i mean he's like he's i put him in like him and alan moore at like the top when i like think about like the legends or like fucking coolest or uh you know the ones that did the most for like comics as a whole but um yeah i was trying to do more research on him and uh i saw like a funny story about how like neil adams like shut him down like over and over when he was first came to new york and was trying to get work and neil adams was like you're a good writer but you can't like you know you're not great at drawing and and uh, he went back like over and over until he found him a job. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think one of the first things that I became familiar with from Frank Miller uh, was year one. Year one is obviously one of his hallmark uh, titles. And I watched the animated movie again recently, just this past week. Uh, and I remember it being like a nice, brief, condensed little novel. And, uh, you know, you could get it from the comic book shop for like 11 bucks or something. If you wanted to get Dark Knight Return yeah. as well, you'd have to pay 18 to 20. And my budget was uh, pretty tight yeah. when I was 11 years old. So that was out of the question. Uh, and, and his art style and his writing style uh, in the 1980s is really I, – I, th I would probably put him – it's tough to say between him and Alan Moore, uh, who is more responsible for that comic book boom of the 1980s. Uh, I guess maybe yeah. probably Alan Moore because Watchmen, what, made the bestseller list for, what was it, New York Times? Best, uh, one of those you know high-ranking things. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if Dark Knight Returns did, but it was certainly the most um, you know, talked about graphic novel using a pre-existing character that was released during that decade. He, totally. see, he won, he won uh, a bunch of Eisner awards for his writing, 360 Electra. Um, so I guess, yeah, he, have you ever read his daredevil run? Cause that one, that's, that's a character that I never thought I would give up. I have it's, one it's, issue right here oh, well. nice <clears throat> vintage issue too i see what i got was uh uh around the time that daredevil was released in theaters in 2003 i remember my my local stop and shop grocery store picked up some like they they reissued 
uh, the collected issues into graphic novels. And uh, it had really terrible artwork on the cover that was not Frank Miller's or anybody that I'm familiar with. And I remember reading it that way. So it's been a while since I've actually checked out his his uh, writing. Yeah, it's good. It, it made you care for – well, I, I, I'm very weird with the heroes that I like. Uh, but Daredevil is definitely one that until the Netflix series came out, I never really cared for. Uh, just because I like a blind guy that fights, I never – like, who cares? Uh, but then after watching the show, I revisited that because I like I've never read it, and it's it's pretty much like a Batman, like the way that he made Daredevil was like a a, a poor Batman. Uh, so it's it's really cool, and and it's I, I don't know how much that influenced that Netflix TV show that I still think is one of the the best produced uh, comic book related things put on yeah, the screen. Definitely still. Uh, but uh, that run of that Daredevil was probably the only time that I've ever cared for that character when it comes to, to comics, really. See, I much prefer the Ben Affleck movie, and I, I get a lot of flack for that. <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, I understand why people like the Netflix show. The Netflix show is what it is, but uh, yeah. it doesn't do it for me. But like Ben the- Affleck, man, with beer. You muted yourself, Loris, again. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. Uh I don't I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> I've only seen that Daredevil movie like three times, but I don't remember I think every time I I've started watching it, I always think, okay, maybe you know, it's been a while. I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll find something to enjoy, but it feels like those uh Fantastic Four movies uh that came out in the 90s where it's just there's just nothing there. I couldn't you know, disagree no... more. I think it feels more like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man than Fantastic Four. Don't uh, try and lump it into no. that shit. No, no, it's more Fantastic Four Electro. No, it's not. No, no. There's an R-rated version with Coolio. It's the best. Lorez, uh, when you were rewatching uh, Year One, because I, I keep up with those fucking animated Batman movies, and rewatching Year One, I think that that might be my favorite. Really? I, I was very critical of it when I first watched it because I felt like the animation was stiff and I didn't like... Uh, the actor Ben something, who, whoever was on the OC, he later plays Commissioner Gordon on, on Gotham. Yeah, yeah. I thought his delivery was very stilted. Uh, but having rewatched it now, maybe it's just because, you know, the DC films uh, kind of ate shit for a while. But uh, it, yeah. it, I thought I thought it was really good. I thought it uh, was much better than when I watched it upon its initial release. Uh, I think yeah. it's a, a pretty solid piece of work in the fact that they – managed to uh, make it a, a terrific little animated movie at only like 68 minutes or something like that yeah. uh, is, you know, it's great. Uh, but I would, I would probably cite, and we'll get into this eventually when we start talking about these, but uh, Dark Knight Returns, I think the, the duology of those that were released in, I believe it was 2012 and 2013, I think is yeah. to date um, the DC animated universe's best animated films. Yeah, and that sticks really, really close to the book. And uh, I just fucking love Brian Cranston as Commissioner Gordon. And I would love to see Brian Cranston as Commissioner Gordon in a live action movie. Absolutely. And the fact they were able to get him while he was still at the top of his game when Breaking Bad was on TV, like, I thought that was a very surprising. Uh, casting choice and you know certainly fitting like that that's a dream fan casting if you ever went on a message board 
like f- just full of nerds hoping and like putting their lists of who they want to be cast in whatever imaginary yeah. Batman movies coming out. That uh, Brian Cranston was always top of the list. He's got the look, he's got the voice, acting skills unmatched, uh, and he's the best part of that year one adaptation. And I love I love that Frank Miller was just like, you know what, I'm gonna have Commissioner Gordon cheat on his pregnant wife. Yeah. You know? Yes, yeah, yeah. It's a very, very detective type of thing. The very st- stress detective thing of I cheated on my wife and don't feel bad about it. You know, um, just blonde. I, I, I think they do, they do a really good job of developing both Batman and Gordon at the same time of how they both, you know, come from trying to change something and, and how Gordon is kind of stuck in between, you know, I accepted this job and everyone's turning against me because I'm trying to do my job. Uh, and the way that they, they were both grew together in that year one, I think works really well. And it, it makes the movie, go, the 60 minutes go by really quickly. I, I just rewatched it. Uh, uh, and uh, the one thing that did bother me was the Batman voice. I didn't know that it was that yeah. guy. Uh, but that also happened on the Dark Knight Returns. I wasn't a huge fan of his voice, Batman. Really? Because, uh, because it, it, I felt like it needed a little bit of more uh, ruggedness to it. At times, he just sounded like an old guy. But that's like not the... cop. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like I, that's not the Batman that I wanted. You know, like you see how thick he is and how just rugged and big. And then the voice, I don't feel it matches that. Uh, and every every time he would try to get serious at Batman, like it it, it was missing well, that little bit for me. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. I half agree with you because here here's the thing. I think Peter Weller was an amazing choice for Batman in that movie. He's got one of the all time great voices. Uh, especially nowadays where he's kind of ruined it as a result of just uh, whiskey and, and, you know, uh, smoking just around the clock. Uh, yeah. But, you know, he, he has a problem with delivery. It kind of feels like he doesn't give a shit at, at parts in that, that movie where, you know, he actually sounds a little Adam Westy at times. This is something that Nicolas Cage did with uh, Kick-Ass where he, he mm-hmm. emulates Adam West's uh, cadence. I, I thought that Peter Weller did that a bit, but it, it felt like he – he had not been used to uh, voicing for an animated project and mm. needing to emphasize certain things or give a, a more direct delivery. Felt like he was reading off a page at points. Mm. Yeah, and also the Joker's voice was really not. Oh, favorite. I like that. Yeah. I like I like very, that he had a Paul Lynn style voice. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "What is this? <laughs> Why is he doing this?" I I listen again. I I like the fact that it it was the guy from Lost. I think his name is Michael Emerson. Um, I could be wrong about that. Doing a Paul Lind impression from from that era, where he's just a very fey older man. Uh, I cannot stand, uh, you know, emulations of that Mark Hamill voice, which is now the go-to thing mm. to do. And this is something that happens in the Long Halloween adaptation, which is uh, better than you know most of the stuff that they've put out over the past seven years or so. And Mario, mm-hmm. I know you enjoyed it as well, uh, but I don't like the fact that they got that Troy Baker guy from the video games who's like, all right, we can't we can't hire Mark Hamill this time. Yeah. Who who can we get? All right, we'll get him to do it. And that's they're, close enough. They're obvious second choice. Mm. Just feels lazy to me. doesn't feel very creative. No. Which are, oh, I thought you were talking about the rock. What's rock face's name? Batman. Uh, uh, Philip DeFranco. 
No, you know, you know the guy that does the Batman voice for the animation? He has like a face that looks like a... Oh, Kevin guy. Conroy. Jesus, yeah. Yeah, that's who I was saying. Never mind. Yeah, that was okay. a giant boulder on his face. On his <laughs> yeah. Fucking gross. Yeah, no, he's retired. He's done. They tried to make him Batman on that Flash show for real, and he just couldn't pull it up. He's, he's old anyway. But um, anyway, so we were talking about... Uh, Let's get back to Sin City. We've, we've kind of trailed okay. off a bit. And then we'll, we'll get more into Frank Miller's work uh, as we get to 300. So, uh, you know, Sin City. What is everybody's favorite character from Sin City? Because for me, you know, obviously I, I'm a big Mickey Rourke fan. I love Marv in this movie and how he's just a big, like, caricature of every hard guy from a 1940s detective noir. Um but I think yellow, like just just the character design of Yellow Bastard, might make him my favorite. Yeah, it's so different and like viscerally disgusting compared to the rest of the cast. Yeah, it was fucking gross. So I like uh, the I like what the Elijah Wood did with his character, like his character, that little nerdy uh, with the what was that sweater vest thing that he had? Oh yeah, that's got to be the coolest he's ever been. That's, yeah, well, no, uh, there's also uh, Maniac, right? He was pretty cool in that. Oh, <laughs> he was, yeah. He was pretty He was pretty cool in Maniac. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> when it comes to the characters, I mean, well, that's the thing. Um, I'm trying to, to remember uh, the characters other than the gambler for uh, Sin City 2, and the only one I can think of is the Jessica Alba one. Uh, so that there, there were definitely more memorable on, on the first one. Yeah, Josh Brown. I can't, can't even remember. They got Josh Brolin to sub in for Clive Owen, which is just a peculiar choice. Um, now, is there? The, I know there's something in the book about plastic surgery, but they they couldn't have Josh Brolin do somewhat. I mean, maybe it would just sound weird. Somewhat of a British accent. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. maybe not. I don't know. It's it's usually not as. I don't know. When, when you know when British actors do American accents that. A lot of the time it's just seamless, uh, but then you try the opposite and it's just, nah, it's just not there. Yeah, why is it so easy for them to pretend to be us? Uh, be- because so that- we started out as them. That's what it is. We had to adjust our voices <laughs> to not sound like them. The guy from The Walking Dead, he's like super British and you hear him talking that show and he sounds like he's from, from the South. And and then you hear someone like Madonna trying to sound British. You're just like, are you, are you okay? Like retard. Are you sounds having... like a stupid yeah, idiot. Yeah. Are you stroking um, out, lady? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's what? It's, uh, I think I remember reading like uh, the way that the, the colonizers of this country lost their British accents is by taking on like a sing-songy voice. So that's just what they do. So it comes easier to them. Just kind of like cheating, you mm-hmm. know? But um, Sin City 2... I, I, I wouldn't even say it's like a bad movie. It just feels like it's a step out of time. You know, it's just it's just too late. You waited too long. And they were going to do a, a Sin City TV show that was going to be all new stories. And I remember them talking about doing this for I think it was maybe Amazon Prime. Uh, but that has been long killed. That's not in development any longer, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Oh, they'll give it like five years. Yeah, I think the technology will make it much easier to make it look better now, right? They have, they even have like that studio that I shared with you on on uh, on Instagram. There's just a studio where it's just a gigantic LED screen of the size of like a giant wall, and it's just 
just go there and make the whole thing again. You don't have to, you know. The problem with that uh, is Robert Rodriguez has already invested probably millions of dollars into just a green screen warehouse to shoot every, just green walls everywhere. So if he were to do that, it would set him back entirely. But that's the move. I think that's the move is to get, uh, you know, uh, LED screens, projection screens, and just do it the old fashioned way. Yeah, because uh, I mean, I'm sure they're going to try to uh, reboot this thing in in the next ten years, just because they do that with everything, especially with something that was so I iconic. I yeah, guess. they'll they'll put a gun in Frank Miller's mouth and say, "Hey, we need a new book this <laughs> month, Frank." Dude, I don't know how he's still alive, dude. <laughs> I don't know if he is. I mean, listen, it could. I mean, kind of like how people, you know, hypothesize. You know, maybe Joe Biden's just CGI. Maybe all those Frank Miller posts where he's just like holding up like a. A, a thing he just drew or whatever. Maybe it's all fake. Maybe it's just, all all cataloged from 2012 and they've just been holding on to it. He just signs it. Yeah. Signs yeah. it good. Yeah, yeah. Good to go. I, I mean, he's still, uh, he just put out a Dark Knight book again, like a year and a half ago or maybe even last year. I don't, I, I don't know. And it doesn't feel like Frank Miller anymore. Uh, you know, Frank Miller in the 1980s has a very distinct tone a very right. distinct voice where he's kind of, I kind of look at him as Rorschach from Watchmen yeah, where so. he's this, you know, un, distrusting character. He doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't believe in the government or, or any sort of authority and its yeah. ability to protect its people. And I think that shows best in the dark Knight returns and how he categorize, uh, characterizes Superman and Ronald Reagan and a lot of the media figures from that time and how they respond to uh, public events. Um, you know, and their method of covering that. That's also during like the, the Bernie Getz era. And I think that's kind of a, a parodied in the book a little bit too. So he, he's, he's kind of like a libertarian figure in the 1980s. And then we get to the 90s and the early aughts and he takes like a very right wing bend. And now he's just like a very like liberal lefty guy who's very like soft and concerned about social issues. And it's peculiar. It's so bizarre to see him like just change his ethos, you know, to match whatever's happening in, in, in the current events. Yeah. I feel like somebody, somebody has to be moving, moving his hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Um, I, I don't know. I, I also kind of feel like he might've gotten marching orders around the time that, Batman v Superman came out where it was like, listen, we got this movie coming out, Frank. We can't have you acting up. Right. Don't don't put out any more blogs or holy terror books. Don't do that. You're gonna be nice yeah. Frank Miller now. It's you time want, to fall in line. Yeah. Frank. You want you want a paycheck? You're looking real skinny, Frank. Is that cancer? Damn. <laughs> Can you afford health care? Like, what do you think like how do you think that works when they have like a scene? like a Batman versus Superman, you know, fight. It's the fucking name of the movie. And that, you know, came out of his fucking brain. Like, what do you think? Like, he was probably compensated pretty well, right? No, not necessarily, no. Um, I mean, this is why a lot of creators left DC and Marvel in the early 90s is because they would uh, run with their... Uh, 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 you know, ideas and their characters and they wouldn't be compensated for it. That was um, ultimately why Todd McFarlane went over to uh, Dark Horse or Image Comics is what I meant to right. say. Because it was kind of like you got paid for your pages and that was it. 
Yes, yes, exactly. It's very, very Vince McMahon of them, where it's like, we're going to create this character for you. You cannot make any money with it. We it's exactly that. I think that's what happened with, with Venom, right? So Todd McFarlane, I believe, created Venom. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, yeah, so Venom is our, ours. We're just going to do all these different stories with the Venom character. That pissed him off. And then he goes and does Spawn. Which is very not that different, really. Well, it's it, it's pretty different, but he's got similar, you know, the chains instead of the yeah. symbiotic sludge the or whatever. Goo. Yeah, <clears throat> I didn't know that there was five Dark Knight books. There's a Master Race one that's very weirdly titled, uh, and then there's a, another one called The Dark Knight Returns: Last Crusade, and the one you were talking about is called The Dark Knight Returns: The Golden Child, which came out in 2019. Right. Yes. And I've, I've, I've read all of them, so go ahead, Mark. I've picked up the one, uh, uh, what's it called? The Master Race is coming out. I was buying those variant covers just because I was, I don't even know what the fuck I was. I was just buying whatever at comic book stores, and uh, some of the art was cool. So I picked up some of that, and I read that. But that was probably the last thing of his that I read. The the Golden Child, uh, or, or actually Master Race, was uh, the big return, right? So he does uh, Master Race, and he ha kind of has a, an interesting idea for that, which is it feels more like old Frank Miller at first, and then it goes in a different direction where uh, it's about what? This, this race of Kryptonians have been shrunk down, and they're going to be unshrunk. And then that's going to cause a, a, a big problem. They're going to be – it's like a it's like a thinly veiled – uh, migrant crisis analogy. Right. Uh, well, yeah. Okay. So that was a big talking point is the sanctuary. Like that was a big thing for 2015, 2016 is sanctuary cities, uh, the Middle East falling apart, us bringing people over to like save them and how that could potentially terraform areas. Cause people were talking about like, there's no go zones in Europe. There's ghettos that are totally off limits. And then Frank Miller had Frank Miller who wrote Holy terror and went nuts because of nine 11 and wrote a bunch of, quote unquote Islamophobic blogs that got him half blacklisted for, for a little while um, came up with a story about the Kryptonians and how they're going to essentially terraform planet earth to, to work for them. Right. Right. But then they like tacos, the Kryptonians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fans of tacos, they, they appear outside of home Depot. Weird. Yes. They all wear sombreros and have like thick <laughs> mustaches. Yeah. Yeah. They're all little and round. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then about midway through that series, it kind of takes on a different approach. And uh, Carrie Kelly is, you know, she's Batman or whatever. I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting book. What? And he also didn't. Yeah, I know. It, it, he didn't do the illustrations for that. I believe that was Jim Lee, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is pro honestly, if you're a traditional comic book fan, that's probably the right approach at this point in time. Yeah. Although I don't I don't dislike Frank Miller's uh, illustration style even if it's radically different now. You know, for the 80s, Frank Miller was actually pretty fucking woke with a female Robin. A oh, yeah. Female commissioner coming in to take Gordon's place. Like, all that's pretty, uh, I don't know, ahead of, ahead of the times, I guess. Yeah, I would definitely say so. I mean, I, nobody but, else was really doing that. Mm. Go ahead, Hans. But I don't know if that commissioner was painted in the best light i think or at least what at least at least what i got from that was that 
women are weak <laughs> instead of like the empowerment that it was supposed to be because at the end of the day like that character yeah i guess at the end of the day too badass that's right ideals right she has all these ideals that go against being good so at the end of the day she ends up being just like a, a shithead that says a lot of things that's not doing any of them right but i think you get balance from the carrie kelly character just because right, she yeah, does yeah. yeah and she's a, only a 13 year which makes some panels kind of weird but she's only a 13 year old he's like he looks fucking naked <laughs> yeah, like yeah 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 like holding her in that's... the cape a, a sling yeah so i mean she she's still one of the strongest characters of the book she uh, comes in clutch during a lot of fight sequences. So, I mean, even if you have the Ellen Yindel uh, commissioner character who doesn't know her ass from her elbow, doesn't want to trust Batman, yeah. um, I, I still think there's... And I mean, look, you know, trying to take a, a more progressive edge, especially in 1980, doesn't necessarily mean uh, showcasing a character positively just because of their gender. So right. that's... I mean, if you want to go with like an equality sense uh that's probably like the most correct version of that yeah isn't it weird how uh their debating they were doing there was pretty much like watching like an episode of the young turks or like whatever news or now of just two people that disagree completely even though they're pretty much saying the same thing but it's like we're on opposite sides, so no matter what you say you know i'm right and you're wrong and now that's what politics is in the states yeah, I think he really nailed the media in those in those yeah. books and the little talking heads and just how stupid everybody is. I mean, because back then, you know, his characterization of certain uh, media personalities felt very Morton, uh, Morton Downey Jr. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that talk show from from back then. That was kind of like, you know, Maury was not always trash. Maury became mm -hmm. trash in like 2010. But that was like the original Maury. That was uh, Jerry Springer. 1.0 yeah yeah uh and he he definitely has uh uh you know he takes a bend of the morton downey jr variety and approaching how he wants to showcase these characters that are kind of filling in the narrative gaps uh between the books yeah the uh the day i mean and with the animated adaptation they stick pretty close to the material i think the only thing that they wind up swapping out is david letterman for conan right which is, mm. I thought it was interesting that they did get Conan. Now, Hans, I know you, you sent me a message last night that you were not impressed with the Ronald Reagan voice for, for the no. movie. <laughs> no. It felt like, a, like an impression, like someone was just doing a bad impression because every time he spoke, and I, I'm not very familiar with him. I'm not, I, I've never sat down and listened to Ronald Reagan's speeches, as I'm sure you both have because we're both American. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that he always started everything with, well makes it sound like an impression makes it sound like this is not a real person that talks because everything they say they start with well uh so that kind of took me out a little bit i was like yeah is this supposed to be reagan or someone playing reagan i did was was that conan the voice or, or no 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 no, no. Like, conan was just doing the talk game, game show host. i have no idea who did the reagan voice you thought it was, it was what it should have been anthony cumia yeah <laughs> anthony cumia's uh runner reagan is much better than whatever or whoever that was yeah it was just, it was just every time he was on screen, it was just kind of like, all right, I'm watching a, you know, an impression of this guy instead of, I mean, I guess, I guess you have to keep it for the time frame so that it makes sense that it's in, in, in the American, the eighties, but I don't know. It just, it felt very cartoony in this world. That's not supposed to be cartoony, I guess. You know, he kind of like, it feels almost like he has uh, spoofed 
his own book in uh, the beginning of RoboCop 2, if you've ever seen that. Uh, I haven't seen uh, RoboCop 2 or 3 for for quite a while, but I know that Frank Miller was involved in that, and I guess they might have butchered his original idea because it, it, i mean I, his script for those movies got adapted into graphic novels later on mm-hmm. it's been a yeah, while since were, i've even seen the first robocop there's a few things in the beginning of robocop too where i'm like he, this kind of seems like he just took a little took a little influence from his uh you know past material and just kind of reworked it a little bit to get by mm-hmm uh did you guys like the fact that they decided to cut the graphic novel adaptation into two parts this is i mean they did release a uh combined full cut i think later on in 2013 uh Mm -hmm. that you know removes the opening credits of that second part and just stitches everything together and it comes in around what two and a half hours something like that and it's r-rated um did you guys prefer uh you know, having that in two volumes or do you think it works better as one condensed piece? I didn't mind uh, seeing it as two parts, but I've never sat down and watched it all as one. But um, I think especially when you're dealing with like the big, I mean, that's like one of the biggest Batman stories ever. So like something that's like so epic and highly regarded, like I think they knew that they could do that and be like, you know, kind of milk it a little bit more. And it didn't bother me at all, like, you know, viewing it like that. I think the two-parters, uh, I mean, I've never seen it uh, together. I did watch them back-to-back yesterday, though. So um, I feel like the 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 first one works really well because it's the story of him coming back, and then he fights this villain that's supposed to be physically very strong, <clears throat> but he's not really much of a threat for anything else other than his strength because uh, his army is just an army of followers that would follow anyone that's their leader. So that's not really much of a threat. It's more of like his physicality. So um, it makes more sense to me that the first movie will be that because we're just getting him back. Uh, and and it would make no sense for me if he's just coming back and right away fighting Superman. Uh, if you have that little break in between, between uh and then you bring okay so things have changed and uh uh you know the the whole batman gang thing that they introduce uh in, in the second one uh works better as a, as a separate uh thing that even though it happens pretty much right after the the first one ends um that separation in between them gives them more importance to this batman versus superman thing uh, that if i was watching let's say an hour and 10 minutes of the first one by the time that we get to the superman thing I think I would have probably been a little bit exhausted of everything already, and it wouldn't have hit as much uh, as uh, seeing it as its own separate thing. Yeah, uh, because of how big that uh, event is, and and if you just tack it at the end of of everything that we go through with the character uh, from you know him being just old and then coming back and getting beaten up, and he's kind of rusty and he's getting his bones broken and he loses the first fight. That's a lot to deal with uh, to just put it in there and then on top of that the superman thing uh so i don't know i, I feel like as their separate entity they work really well uh mostly because they feel like two separate chapters of the batman character i yeah. completely agree and uh, i'll tell you what when i was watching it as one condensed piece it feels like it 
it, it breaks the traditional like three act structure, I think, because it's clearly not intended to do that. And they stick so close to the material. You know, there's not any conditioning made to the medium of film outside of uh, really those those first two volumes. So it just kind of feels like we're mm -hmm. looping through different stories. Like it might have worked better as four episodes, similar to how it was released as four issues. Mm -hmm. Do you think in the future we might see directors and um you know like animated adaptations stick even closer to the source material than than we do now or is that do you think that's just something with like directors and egos where they're like no no i'm putting my own spin on this and like when something's already so solid and like just so fucking good like why not just try to stick to it I think I think it's probably what you said, where, you know, if you're going to be directing something now in the case of these DC animated movies, I think that's more committee based. I think it's more. All right. Who can we get to direct this this animated feature? Although I think uh, this was directed by Jay Olivia, who is one of Zack Snyder's right hand guys. And okay. um, he's got a pretty good creative voice as far as the animated films go. And I do find that the ones that have his name on as director tend to be the most watchable or most uh, interesting. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think it, I think it's probably just, yeah, if you're adapting a comic book, you're I mean, it's probably going to be a very rare instance. I mean, any any piece of literature in general that it's going to stick close to the material. I think you have to be very disciplined in order to do that and, uh, you know, avoid ego, which is impossible to work in, uh, in creative and do that. And, yeah. um, you know, there probably comes a point where you're like, well. You know, why am I even doing this if I'm just going to stick to every single beat that's laid out here? If I'm not going to put my vision on this right. and do something different with it. Yeah. I, I think the problem with with uh, with what you're saying about the the uh, directors having their own vision is that uh, sometimes uh, if there's not enough balance between the two things, uh, we end up with half baked ideas that end up being nothing. Like what happened with uh, Christopher Nolan in the, the last movie that he made, the last Batman movie, with things like the Robin thing that still bothers me to this day, where it's like, yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna add the Robin character, but kind of, not really, kind of, but his name yeah. is Robin, even though no Robin is named Robin. Yeah, so then dumb. at the end, it's like, so at the end, it's like, what's the point of adding something that's like a nod? Hey, this is kind of a nod to comic book fans, but it's not really because that's not any character's name is robin which is a name that everyone would recognize but none of the robins are named robin so then it's like this, this is still add... a petty complaint this is a meaningless it is. complaint but but, but, <laughs> you know, but you know what i mean it's like uh, the, the one thing that i like about this animated one is that uh okay so you're taking very iconic stories like dark Knight returns you have year one and then uh, the, uh what's a uh, killing joke which is the one that they fucked up uh by by adding extra right this yeah. three um, are very faithful to the book, and because the book the books are so huge uh, stories, we love these animations because they're retelling the story we already like. But then when you have something like the Killing Joke, which is also a, a good story but it's shorter, and then you have someone with the artistic liberty of adding just something to make it longer for no reason, and then he just doesn't end up doing anything for it. I think that's when... I, Batman needs to get his dick wet a little wet before, <laughs> before we go into this. It's only a matter of time before they decide, you know what, we're going to we're gonna have Batman and Robin 
be explicitly gay now. And they're going to have sex. We're just going to open to a scene where they're in bed together. We're not going to show it, but they're going to be like smoking cigarettes under the covers, you know? Yeah. They just look up. Do you want a coffee? All right. All right. I got it. Yeah. And they just wake, uh, gets up and he hasn't no wearing any pants. Is he and in a walk. <laughs> Dude, that is, that's too real. That's too fucking real. That's exactly how they would approach that, too. Yeah. Yeah. This is butt cheeks. You're just like, oh, they were not just having a sleepover they fucked <laughs> yeah yeah um so from from dark knight returns i think that might be a good opportunity to get into 300 which is obviously a, a Zack snyder directed film it's probably what put him on the map uh even though dawn of the dead was obviously a very impressive uh horror debut yeah i, I think 300 was a big cultural moment for i think it was Dude. 2006 that it came out right massive like I was thinking about like how big that movie was and like, it's crazy. Like everybody on earth has seen that movie. And like, I just like, I, I like think of like Burger King cups with like fucking, you know, Spartans on them and shit. And like, it's just crazy how big movies used to be able to be. Yeah. I mean, in that green lit a whole bunch of like knockoff shows on stars and bad parody films meet the really terrible stuff came about as a result of that but one of the things that 300 did and was like one of the first movies to do was it implemented itself into meme culture online where you saw this is sparta take off and you would yeah. get like youtube poop videos of that yeah. and gifs and people would edit like little 200 by 200 photoshop gifs of like him kicking people over and yeah, yeah. That, that's one of the first instances of that. Good timing. Absolutely. The beginning of memes, yeah. If, um, well, I mean, if you want to like get historically, I'm sure there were memes in like caveman times, but yeah, for the internet, the beginning of memes. <laughs> um, All right. <laughs> <laughs> caveman drawings. It's just uh, they just draw the other caveman with a littler dick than they should. <laughs> yeah. A, a caveman dick. <laughs> Uh, 300, I didn't see until it hit DVD. So I missed out on the theatrical experience of that. But I remember being in high school at the time and people just wouldn't shut up about it and how cool it was. And it's kind of a similar say, movie to, to Sin City where it's mostly CG, right? But they obviously take a different approach with it. And it's not as cartoonish. And it only arrives a year after that uh, initial Frank Miller resurgence where where his career seems to die on the page it picks up on the big screen. Go ahead, Hans. Yeah. I uh, I was in college, like starting college at, uh, when this came out and I, I in Canada. And I remember very vividly that every time you would go to someone's house, they always had a poster of Leonidas uh, when you go to Guy's house. And you were kind of like, all right, so you're the like very masculine guys are very overcompensating for something. So, so at, at points, it was kind of like, okay, so do you want to be Leonidas or do you want to be fucked by Leonidas? Like, I think at that time, a lot of very confused college men uh, were driven by this movie because it was just men with abs and blood and swords. It was kind of like, you know, they were all together in the in the wild by themselves and he's just man yeah. barely wearing anything so it was mm. very weird masculine a uh, very frat housey type of thing uh but yeah. um i i i rewatched that too and uh especially compared to the second one it's it's so weird that the first one looks so much better than the second one 
even though you know technology uh, advanced uh, uh, in all that time, but for whatever reason, I, I had a, a more of a problem watching or getting through the second one than the first one. Well, it's it's because Zack Snyder directed the first one. He didn't direct the second. He was only a producer on the second one, and it was one of his guys handling the direction for that sequel. So, and I, I mean, listen, I, you know, a lot of people didn't like Three Hundred Two. Uh, I thought it was decent. I thought it was all right as far as there's some cringe in it. There's some really not good moments, but as 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 far as like sequels go. That's not the worst offender. It's certain. I look. I'd rather watch Three Hundred: Rise of an Empire before I watch Sin City, the uh, sequel. Dame to kill for. A dame yeah. to kill for. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, what was? It? I mean, what what particularly stuck out to you as as far as like the the difference in the the visuals? Well, not just the visual, but also the the. Um... The characters, like I, I, uh, I couldn't care at all about the characters of the second one. Well, yeah, you had like a the, stacked the... cast for that first movie. You had Gerard Butler, yeah. you had Michael Fassbender. Yeah, there's, I mean, it's really just, what was it? The guy from Avatar, was he in that sequel? I don't know. I don't know what the hell he's been up to. Oh, he just yeah, looks Sam... like every other guy. Sam Worthington? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should have had Sam Rockwell. And you have the, the blind guy, too. That He's someone, right? Sure. The one that gets his eye poking out. I don't know. He guy. had Calvin Mulvey, who is not a star at all, but he popped up in a bunch of movies in 2015 and 2016 and then disappeared. He's in Batman v Superman and he's in Captain America and the Winter Soldier as well. But now he's not in much of anything. Right. But also, I think it also suffered from uh, it being a setup to Cersei's, right? Mm-hmm. Like you spend a lot of time telling backstory that just who cares, but it's more of a setup to that. Is that still happening? Do you know? I, I no, I think that's what this was supposed to be. So this is one of the first instances of them going to Frank Miller's door and being like, look, we're going to make a sequel. You know, you can either beat us to it and we'll use that as a blueprint or we're just going to we're, we're going to go ahead with it. And it's not going to have anything to do with you. So you can take the paycheck. Or we're just going to proceed as as follows. Uh, so he wound up writing uh, that book that you had referenced. And I think this was supposed to be an adaptation of that or close enough. Maybe it wasn't finished at the time. I have no idea. Uh, but this is nothing new as far as Hollywood goes. I know that, um, you know, for the Hannibal series, uh, what's the, the author's name? Thomas, Thomas something. Uh, they, they told him the same thing. It was uh, Dino De Laurentiis was like, look, we're going to make a prequel to Hannibal. If you want to write that novel, we'll buy it. You're going to make a pretty decent amount of money off that and have... Uh, a say in the direction of where the ship's going to head, or you can ignore that. And we're just going to do it anyway. And obviously you take the deal that allows you control and some money. Yeah. But what um, happened to the, whatever happened to, or did you watch that? Um, what's it called? It was a third 300 movie about the in, invincibles or like the, you know, that army that were all dressed in black. That yeah, uh, that's I am uh, I haven't seen that. That that sounded terrible though. I think that was Henry Cavill in that. That was direct to video or something. Immortals from twenty eleven, isn't that related to? No, it's not. Anyway, it's just, not at all. Uh, you just imagine just, things. Yeah. You have fairy tales in your head. I think of shirtless man with swords. <laughs> that's what people don't know is anytime you see a shirtless man as part of a shared universe of other shirtless man films. So Magic <laughs> Mike is also connected to three hundred. 
Yeah, um, so any movie with The Rock too is just Walking Tall and Magic Mike is the same. Jungle character. Cruise and Jumanji. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what what else do we have on the list for Frank Miller adaptations? Is that is that actually it? Is it the two Sin uh, Cities, the two three hundreds, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, the and one? This. Come on. Your favorite. Your favorite. I don't. I don't yeah. mind the spirit, but look, the the spirit. I I threw that on for shits and giggles the other day, and that wasn't that bad. And I heard it was terrible, unwatchable. Mario, did you ever see the spirit? I saw it in theaters. Oh my god! What did you? What was that like for you? <laughs> uh, I remember just being like, "Well, that wasn't as good as." The movie I'm obsessed with, Sin City. So, <laughs> yeah, it really just you steals were the visuals. By the mark, and the I think I was yeah. pissed. I think that it, I was pissed that it was like PG-13. Yeah, so I think I was yeah. like, this is soft, and like Sam Jackson was in it, but I was like, oh, this movie's just soft. There's there's some interesting parts to it now, uh, I think, but it's not. I mean, look, it's not good. And it certainly needed, I think, Robert Rodriguez looking over Frank Miller's shoulder and not just allowing him the, the sound stage that they use for every fucking movie that Troublemaker uh-huh. Studios puts out. But yeah. it's uh, it's a mess. And that's not a look. That's Frank Miller directing. But that's a Will Eisner property. So I don't I'm not counting that. We're not going to get into that, really. Have you watched it, Hans? No, no. But that's your dude. That's one of your guys. I know. He, he is, but. I mean, he covers his moles with he covers his moles with a mask. So it's not him. He can't be Gabriel Macht, however you say his name. That would, that would be terrible uh, if you're a superhero and you get identified <laughs> by your moles. Like, wait a minute, I know a guy with with just as many disgusting lumps on his face as you. Hold on, are you the guy with the juicy mole on his eyebrow? Wait, yeah, yeah. Um, I I never saw it. There's a there's apparently a Netflix series called Curse that's based on the Frank. Yeah, Miller. that's more bullshit. That's more Frank. Can you just like say you wrote this? I don't even think he wrote that. That was a book that some guy uh, put together, and then Frank Miller was paid to put his name on it, and he did a cover or something. I wonder what's I the know. most somebody's gotten just to be like, yeah, put my name on it. OJ, I, I think OJ. If I did it, that's got to be. <laughs> That's probably that he probably got a real good deal for that. Um, Wait, but wasn't that before he got arrested? That might have. I mean, he was pretty down on his luck. That's why he did some thievery. But yeah. that doesn't mean anything. I mean, it's O.J. Simpson. You got to imagine. Now that book didn't come out, right? So, but if it did, it would have been huge. It would have been guaranteed, probably ten million dollars for yeah. for whoever's I know. I playing think- that. I think the best the best person uh, for that for you know the how much they pay you just to put your name on it, it's probably fucking. I'm trying to think of his name, old 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 Marvel guy. How did he fucking forget his name? Stanley uh, Mustache. Yeah, because he like his name is on everything because all the characters are based on him. I'm sure he got a little bit in the back just because of that. Uh, I'm sure you're just like anything. you're just like this. When people come to you and they're like, hey, can you just sign off on this? And here's a check. You just look yeah. at it like, you know what? This is just a fruit of my labor. Like, I I made some dope shit and now I just get to collect and I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I, I think so. And especially when you get to that point, you probably have the perspective that like, 
look, I, I wrote and drew 300 and Dark Knight Returns and all these iconic books. Like adding one more to the pile that I didn't do is not going to sully my legacy or the legacy of those pieces. Yeah. And especially for somebody like him where people hate uh, Dark Knight Strikes, right? People despise that book. They mock his uh, style of drawing now. Uh, Holy Terror also got him branded like a xenophobe. So he's he's probably very calloused to any sort of criticism that might come as a result of his work. Yeah. For people that are not familiar with those books, can you explain why? So um, was it Dark Knight Strikes Again. That's the title, right? Not yeah. yeah. So that's that's another um, uh, Dark Knight installment. It's the direct sequel to the Dark Knight Returns. And people were like, wow, I can I, I still remember. I didn't even know anything about Dark Knight Returns at the time, but I remember going to the comic book shop when I was like nine or ten and seeing Dark Knight Strikes again, uh, posters everywhere and like the, the fist and the thunder and, you know, all the iconography that was associated with that book. And then when it dropped, people were like, Frank Miller does not know how to draw anymore. Frank Miller. <laughs> If this looks like a child's drawings. It's done with a fucking iMac coloring, you know, uh, and it's it, it is really jarring if you read those two books back to back, certainly. And I understand why people rejected it at first. And the, the contents of it are inferior to Dark Knight Returns. Uh, you know, I think you wrote the first issue before 9-11 and the rest after 9-11. And there is a, a, a shift in the writing. And he even, like, does a, a faux 9-11 terrorist attack in the book at, like, a Metropolis <laughs> Daily <laughs> Planet building. Lex Luthor, I believe, oh, is no. the president. And he looks like Kingpin. He's just, like, a big mass, you know? He's really gross. Yeah. Uh, and the Joker is Dick Grayson. Dick Grayson got abused and went crazy and became the Joker. And they kind of set this up a little bit. Mario, did you ever read All-Star Batman and Robin, The Boy Wonder? No, I actually haven't. It is fucking hilarious. It's my favorite. It might be my favorite comic uh, run of like anything related to comic books. Uh, that's where the goddamn Batman quote comes from, and he, he, where he says, what are you, dense? What are you, retarded? I'm the goddamn Batman to, to Robin <laughs> in the Batmobile. That, that thing was a meme for a while, too. Uh, He's so volatile to like this little boy where he's just like beating the shit out of him and talking down to him. He's really <laughs> like, it's, but it's hilarious. It's, it's a fucking hysterical comic. Like they sneak up on Green Lantern and like paint his apartment yellow or whatever. What it, that's his worst fear is the color yellow. So they're just yeah. having like a yellow tea party in his apartment dressed in all yellow. Um, it did not finish, unfortunately. It only ran for 12 issues because Frank. Something happened with Frank, and he didn't yeah. write anymore. Uh, there's a collected version that is out currently. And uh, the one I had only had the first 11 issues. I've yet to read that final issue, but it's it's one of my favorite comic runs. It's so, I gotta be, I gotta so good. Um, and it, it falls between Batman Year One and Dark Knight Returns. So cool. it, it sets up why Dick Grayson hates Batman and why he would become the Joker. And, but in Dark Knight Strikes Again... Um, Joker's kind of like a Mixius Pitalik style character. He's all over the place. He's just a weird little buzzy guy who dresses up and does bad things. And then it ends with both him and Batman like dying. So when you have the master race, it's a it's kind of a an unusual thing. And they tried to do the 
I'm trying to think of a, a film that does this, maybe like the Alien franchise, where it's like, we're just going to ignore what happened here, and we're going to try and branch this directly into that one thing that you really like, that that Dark Knight book from 1986. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ignore yeah. The, the 2001 one. We're, we're just going to do that, even though I yeah. think it is still canon. Um, I would be interested to see an animated adaptation, or even like any any like a fan film of Dark Knight Strikes Again because it's so fucking batty and weird and crazy. I think mm -hmm. that could be great. I'm looking yeah. at the, <clears throat> the the design of the Joker and he looks like a Harlequin. And the drawings do look like uh, Doctor Katz. Do you remember Doctor Katz? That show with the very wavy lines. Yeah, the psychologist looks like shit. <laughs> Uh, Mario, are you familiar at all with, uh, you know, Frank's run of anything really after the year 2000? Mm, I don't think so. What, what, what's an example of that? So it, we would start probably with Dark Knight Strikes again, and then he does All-Star Batman and Robin, uh, Holy Terrors 2011, and then we get the new and improved Frank Miller uh, that is courtesy of Batman v Superman being put into production where you have the master race and he has one actually really good one shot graphic novel called the last crusade, which details uh, how the Joker sprung himself from Arkham and traps Robin and then kills him. And it's very creepy. It's very uh, Joker's a, a sinister guy. A, a green font and the Joker on the cover. Yes. Yeah. So uh, it's a different kind of Joker. He's more sinister, more pervy, creepy, older gay man-ish. And okay. uh, it's, a, it's a great little brief read. I would like to see that adapted into something at some point. Um, okay. And then Golden Child kind of spoils what things is that a little one called? bit. What is it's, that one I, called? Is that the one that, that looks like a painting, like a creepy, weird painting, the comic book? Because I, I have one uh, maybe where thinking. the... Maybe you're thinking of Arkham Asylum. Yeah, I was going to say Arkham yeah. Asylum has some very distinct artsy. That's where the Joker is just like very green, but like a very clean, like a splatter yeah. thing. Like yeah, no, no, no. Very... Arkham Asylum was okay. late 80s, and that was Grant Morrison, I believe. Right, yeah. Mine, you're right, yeah. Was yeah. it Which... him or Neil Gaiman? I don't remember. Oh, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that that's a beautiful book. That the, uh, yeah. you know, the, the, the illustrated work in there is some of the best you can find in a graphic novel. Um, I don't know. I, what, are, what are your overall thoughts on the, uh, the oeuvre of uh, Frank Miller and his, his films? Well, like he, like, well, comic book wise, like I think he's done so much that people don't really, you know, like know that like when people think of like, you know, whatever Batman is to them, like, that's basically because of him. Like, whatever, you know, whatever they think of him as, like, the modern-day Batman in their minds wouldn't exist. You wouldn't have gotten all these, you know, dark, brooding stories later on in films without his, uh, you know, contribution. And I, like, so, I mean, he's really done more for the character than anybody like as far as what we think of batman now or if you you know ask a kid what they think batman is that's 
that's really he's responsible for that yeah i i certainly agree i think nobody has shaped that character more in pop culture and uh popular media than frank miller over these past like 30 years uh probably the the, the closest version to that would be obviously ben affleck's batman in, in the Zack snyder series but mm -hmm. um you know you can you can find traces of that in the christopher nolan uh christian bale films as well and certainly in in pieces of uh animation yeah so well it it makes uh he makes him like a very flawed character too which i think makes it more interesting instead of just being the you know brooding guy that is trying to take revenge because his parents were killed which is a story that we heard you know so many times but he makes him such a uh not weak, but but a character that has a lot of flaws that he has to work through. So it makes uh, the Batman more interesting, uh, especially when he's doing uh, detective work and things like that, where uh, where uh, his personality really comes out, I guess. And I, I don't really know of, of any other writer that has written Batman that way that would make it into, you know, the icon that is now, you know. I, I would like say you. that. Uh, just, oh, just real quick, I'll pass it over to you, Mario. I think his Batman is like the the first version of that character that is like viscerally disgusted with the world that he lives in. I think to that okay. point, you get the detective, you get uh, you know, funny games Batman, dress up Batman, purple costume, green costume day Batman, and then his Batman shows up and is just like, ah, oh, I hate the, I hate this city, I hate these people, yeah. I gotta yeah. go smash some some fucking heads into the bricks tonight. You really feel like how bothered he is. And uh, it's also something that like everybody can relate with at some point or like we will relate with more at some point in our lives that it's this fucking retired guy. And now he just kind of has to sit around and fucking drink wine and get pissed off looking at the TV. And like that's kind of like a really scary reality for not just people that are you know, have a more, I don't want to say epic career, but like, you know, when you're like out of your prime, like if you're a fucking, whether you're a sports person, like a fucking hockey player or a football player, like there's going to come this time where you're like leaving this thing that you think that you live for. So I think a lot of people, you know, can relate to that. And, uh, it is kind of scary reading that and being like, damn, like one day you're going to be 50 years old and fucking Batman, flipping yeah. through channels and <laughs> be very, very yeah. bothered. What's, what's rich about that is that Frank Miller himself was feeling that when he started working on this book because he was like, oh, damn, I'm getting old. Yeah. You know, but he was only 30. And then he does this book and then like that defines his fucking career. Like he starts getting into the peak of his career after that. He's like, damn, I'm washed up. Yeah, it's over for me. You know, I'm not in my 20s anymore. And then he becomes Frank Miller that everybody knows. So, yeah, it's That's certainly, cool, yeah, cool. it's, it's certainly uh, an interesting career and trajectory. And, you know, if he can hang in there another 10 years, I'm very interested to see what what Frank Miller looks like then. Not physically looks like his, <laughs> he looks he looks fucking uh, terrifying right now. Yeah. You know, he look, hey, he looks better than he did like six years ago. He looks, he's got a little fullness to his face, but for like a man who was in his fifties, whoa, oh my God, I don't want, I don't want whatever 
poison he came in contact with. Now he is, yeah. But oh, if you oh. look, if you Google Frank Miller's name, 2007 or like 2014 or something like that. Oh, or 82. Man. No, 82 yeah. is fine. He's, he's, <laughs> he's just a standard comic book artist there. But wow, a man in his 50s who looks like a man in his 80s. Yikes. Yeah. The last, the last, he was like looking sharp on the red carpet of Sin City. He looks like a normal man. And then sometime after that, something happened. Yeah, yes, something happened. I think uh, he must have either had cancer and was going through chemotherapy and kept that private, which is what I, I think might have happened. Yeah, uh, and also why he started writing books again, um, or uh, you know maybe he's just hitting the bottle way, way, way too hard. Because that was another thing too. After especially after nine eleven, people were saying, "Oh, he's a drunk, he's an alcoholic. This you know this is why he's fallen off." But I don't. I mean, I I don't know if I lend that any real credibility. I think yeah. I think he probably felt like, all right, I'm starting to wind down in life, and uh, it's time to you know cash in and write what I want to write, and you know end end my legacy. But he's still hanging in there. So, I don't well, know. we'll, you say. had no TMC, you had no TMZ, right? So you didn't know. Isn't it wonderful that you didn't have to know everyone's lives a hundred percent? Back in the day, you can just be an artist <laughs> instead of yeah. like, oh, what is he? What do you have for breakfast today? How dare you have beans? That's cultural appropriation. You yeah, know? He <laughs> it's just like, shut the fuck up. He couldn't go on Instagram live during his chemotherapy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank God. Um, <laughs> so that I mean, I, th I think I think we were a little touch and go with the movies, but I think we had a, a pretty decent discussion on Frank Miller, the man in his work, certainly his work, I, you know, uh, covering you know, his, uh, his graphic novels from the eighties until today. Mm. Um, we have a storm coming in over here. So I think I am going to be, uh, wrapping this up for, for today, uh, just in case. Oh, fun. Are you going to have another shutdown like a couple of years ago? Do you remember that? Were you, uh, oh, you were not living in New York yet, right? No, no. Happened? Thank God. No. Um, I, I mean, it's the internet, is not great in in massachusetts by comparison to new york anyway where you know maybe even if my box goes out i can link to somebody else or just like the public wi-fi uh, i'm on like the boonies here so if it goes it goes um so that's gonna be that's gonna be movies for this week uh mario what have you got going on where can people find you i you can find me i guess on instagram it's pretty much the only shit that i do and that's at MC Mario Cuomo. And I'm going to go record some music alone in August. So pretty much all of August, I'm going to be in the studio making a sophomore solo album. And nice. uh, yeah, just keeping busy, fucking working, a fucking job. A lot's changed since the last time I talked to you guys. For the better or just in general or the worse? No, no, for, for the better. Like, right, good, good, but, good. Uh, yeah, dude, I got a job. It feels good to have a job. Got a new girlfriend. Uh, all this good shit. So I think uh, maybe I'll make uh, maybe I'll make a good record. We'll see. I I'm very confident. I'm I'm sure you will. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, Hans, when are you when are you coming back to Twitter? I don't know. I mean, I have an account right now that I'm sure it's making me look great with all the <laughs> retweets and posts. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, what is it? H word? 
It's H word name on Twitter. You can log in at any point now. No one's going to flag you. Like the time has passed. They're not looking for you. How long have you been off the uh, off the shit? <laughs> like three, four months, something like that. Oh Are you happier? God. Are you happier, Hans? Honestly, like it feels good not having something that you check constantly to see how retarded people are being. <laughs> and I feel like that's what I was using Twitter for was just like, oh, let's see what stupid shit people are upset about today. Uh, so it is a little better to not have that thing of like, oh, I have nothing to do or let me waste time and go into a hole where I just yeah. end up getting banned because I call people. Stupid. I don't think I'll ever go. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever go back. No, there's no reason to. Yeah. I mean, you got the right idea. Instagram is like the most mentally well social media um, platform by far. Facebook is yeah. kind of nice because it's like very segregated. So you don't cross paths with people unless you want to. But yeah. even then, like it's all shit anyway. Like you're just looking at like memes that were popular on Twitter from fucking five months ago, six months ago. Yeah. Old gotta, people posting bad shit. Time for an unfollow spree, I yeah. think. <laughs> yeah instagram instagram keeps me happy i like instagram yeah uh, we'll see how long that lasts so and uh spot uh check out movies on spotify on itunes patreon.com slash loras you guys already know where to go all right that has been movies for this week mario thank you so much for coming back on again we'll have to do <clears throat> round four maybe at maybe an alan moore retrospective i don't know i don't like alan moore as much as i like frank miller though frank miller is one of my favorites yeah i don't think they liked each other too much either no, I, I mean, I know nothing about that, but just knowing Alan Moore's personality, how crotchety yeah. he is, he's just curmudgeon all the time. I totally yeah. believe that. So, all right. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. All right. That's been Movies for this week. Thank you for listening. <laughs>